This is the Balancing Act by Security Compass, your guide to going fast while staying safe in today's digital world. Welcome to the Balancing Act podcast hosted by Security Compass. My name is Mike Bolger, and today we are joined by DJ Schleen, Senior Manager of Software Security at Rally Health, and Pranoy Day, Solutions Engineer at Security Compass. We have a great discussion on today's episode where we speak on how DevSecOps has evolved over the years, automation's role as part of DevOps, being equipped to properly handle data protection during COVID, and much, much more. Some great insights. Let's take a listen. Okay, so DJ, you and I have had many conversations in the past, and one of the things that's always intrigued me, you know, is that you've worked in the field of security for a very long time now, especially with with respect to being a DevSecOps advocate. And I've always wondered, what has your approach been to DevSecOps, and how has that changed over the years? Yeah, thanks for asking. It's great, great chatting with you guys. It's changed a lot, actually. I got involved in the security industry before I even know that security was a career I could do with uh, application security back years ago. In the past six years, I think AppSec has really taken on a different a different view, right? We have DevSecOps starting to become more popular, coming out of some of the rugged background. But what I've seen over the past couple of years is this more of an engineering approach to AppSec. And, and that's been probably the biggest change is where we had these traditional security teams before really focused on you know, the governance risk and compliance pieces of things. And then now we're getting more into the, well, okay, Target got breached or Home Depot got breached or XYZ. And now there's, you know, starting to hit the road when it comes to AppSec. Well, that's, yeah, I've, I've certainly noticed a lot of that myself too. And I'm, I'm wondering with respect to DevOps starting to play such a big role within security, it, it wasn't always this way. Security back in the day wasn't focused on DevOps at all. It was very old school, very waterfall. And with respect to this transition that's been happening, what are your thoughts on how the industry has been coping with DevOps being able to incorporate security inside? Well, I think it's funny because we just got used to using the term DevOps and then security comes and says, oh, DevSecOps. <laughs> and then the whole, like, the whole industry goes crazy. It's like, oh, it's DevQuops or whatever ops. DevOps as well, a lot. <laughs> I remember going to a Black Hat, I think it was, or, or something like that. And there was a vendor advertising SecOps dev. And I'm like, what are you doing? I think how it, I think it's changed a little bit is things are getting taken more seriously with security in DevOps. So if you're looking at DevOps as a set of practices, not a set of processes, and then you start applying security in that, I think folks are starting to get a little bit more, taking it a little bit more seriously. And some of the automation and the tools that are coming into place are just starting to catch up. When, when DevOps came around about 10 years ago, it, there's a lot of other CI/CD tools and there's things like that out there, but nothing to the you know way we see things today in the industry from an automation perspective and a tooling perspective. And I think security right now is the same way DevOps was five years ago, six years ago, where we're starting to just see some tools coming out that actually support the rapid security testing and threat modeling and that kind of thing as things start coming out. So it's it's really interesting. What are you have you been seeing? Uh, yeah, no, that's a great analogy. So about five years ago, just coming back to your point, I used to be a developer working in a DevOps automation pipeline, releasing continuously using CICD, and we'd have vendors come in with all these new products. So look at us, we have Kubernetes, we have a new cluster, we have uh, 
something that manages all your containers and there's all these amazing pieces of technology that were coming out. But those have become the norm right now. And we see the same level of innovation and excitement in the security field. You know, all these new testing products that are coming out. We want to embed our testing, embed security within our pipelines, within our development pipelines, within our testing frameworks. And you're absolutely right. And the revolution that we saw about five years back in DevOps is absolutely happening in security right now. So I couldn't agree with you more. The thing that scares me, though, is that I think security is overcomplicating things. Since uh, since joining the team I'm on now, my mission has been to make security and AppSec more like an engineering organization with the security focus instead of a security organization that's does a little bit about engineering, right? I want to make this almost invisible to developers and engineers who are who are building software. Because you know, we talk about DevSecOps as this utopia of everybody collectively sitting around a campfire trading stories and enjoying the evening. What ended up happening in reality a couple of years ago was people were blocking builds because of a security failure. Or they're in really alienating developers. I've seen situations where we, I was on teams where we would block builds and all of a sudden people would be pulling those controls out and you'd be like, where, where is their security information? <laughs> Why is it stopped? So the engineers got a little bit disappointed in what we were doing. So yeah, I think we're at this time where the tools are starting to become more mature. A lot of them are really overcomplicating things. Like it's about application security and value being delivered to our customers. That's the whole idea of DevOps. So if we're looking at security, it's an attribute of quality where we want to make sure we have high quality, vulnerability-free, safe apps. It's like adding an airbag to an automobile coming off an assembly line. You're not fundamentally changing the car. You're making it safer. Yeah. You speak of a very nice utopia. And I, I wish that we continue working towards that's honestly the goal of almost every vendor in AppSec. They draw these dreams and visions and we continue and live to fight another day every day, spreading the message yeah, was... the best we can. It was funny. The, I did a keynote last week and in the chat channel, I said, my prediction is in five years, DevOps and DevSecOps will be known as engineering, just simply engineering. It's, it goes back to the things we did 20 years ago or 10 years ago or five years ago. It's like all of it is building product and engineering. It's, we can call it whatever we want, but it's, that's what it is, right? Yeah, it's serious now. It wasn't like, imagine like 40 years ago, Bill Gates being called on by uh, the Congressional Committee and being asked all sorts of questions on data privacy and user security. Like times have changed. Oh yeah. Important important part of who we are today as a society. And we have to adapt on the technology side to keep up. Well, it's ingrained, right? It's it's all the technology we use. It's it's in our pocket. And when you start looking at healthcare and what, what we're doing in the healthcare industry, like Our job is to make sure that we're not leaking people's private information, health or identifiable information or otherwise. And so there's some serious consequences regulation-wise if we don't. And But even on a non-enforcement side of the house, if I'm using the same tools that we develop, I'm in the healthcare industry, I'm using a healthcare app, I want to make sure that my information is protected. I want to make sure my parents' information is protected. Like I don't, we regulations aside, like this is just common human decency. And and that's where I think we've got to get the security as a as an afterthought out of the conversation. It has to be part of what we do. You know, you make a very interesting point. And I personally know from your background that you've spent many years working in the healthcare industry. So first of all, is there anything unique that you feel has to be done 
with your approach to cybersecurity in this space specifically, if you have to compare it with a financial sector or the automotive sector, any regulated, non-regulated sectors, what is the difference and how do you adapt to those changes? Oh man, that that's a good question. There's there's a few points there. One is there's things that we need to do, and there's things that we have to do, and the things that we're also mandated to do. So healthcare, we have HIPAA, we have different like regulations that enforce how we transfer and transmit a PHI data, right? The health information of our constituents. And then financials, PCI for managing credit cards and that kind of thing. And you can name the certifications, right? There's you know, high trust, SOC 2, <laughs> there's standards, NIST 800, you know, 53, all these different things out there. Really, there's uh, this overlap between security and privacy that I think varies in the industry, just because maybe you're in an automotive industry and you're collecting customer information. That doesn't mean that you have to be less secure than somebody who's collecting customer information in any other industry. There's this simple, similar responsibility to what we're doing because hackers don't, they don't make appointments and they really don't <laughs> care where, what industry you're in. If you have a you know, target of information, they're going to try to get it no matter if it's in healthcare or automotive or, or PCI. So I think what I'm trying to say is a lot of the things that we do in healthcare are imposed on us with the regulatory um, compliance that we need to adhere to. But just because that industry is doing it doesn't mean others shouldn't. Because think of this, right? What's the best way to compromise somebody's account information anywhere? It would be to look for other places where that person might have been using an account and chances are their password's the same. Right. right, it, right. So it's everybody has to be like cognizant of security, especially when it comes to like authentication authorization, because you look on the dark web or you hear horror stories about the top 10 most common passwords, one being password. And chances are that person's using it for their bank, for their health care, for whatever. There's user education aspect of that, which is, I think, why a lot of this, these compliance regulation things are in place. There's also the corporate responsibility side where we're not taking into consideration those things in places where we should be. But yeah, it's an interesting question. And definitely my opinion that is really, we should be responsible for security everywhere. But the reality is a lot of people look at it and say, we're responsible for security when we get caught. <laughs> yeah, that, that's literally every CISO's uh, nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, people saying that. To your point in the healthcare industry, I know that uh, there's a lot of regulation and government mandates, uh, basic levels of compliance needed. In your experience, have you felt that these baseline standards that have been pushed onto different healthcare industry companies, do you feel that companies are going above and beyond that or they're struggling to keep up to that minimum benchmark? I can tell you that the organizations I've been part of, I've been striving to take those above and beyond and using technology, right? Like we're looking at an open policy agent solution right now for some of the things that we're doing so that we have these compliance policies and regu regulatory constraints that we're dealing with. A lot of this is documented inside of our GRC or governance risk and compliance tooling. And then we're taking that all the way down to the application level where we have policy as code and then other pieces of code that enforce that the policies on our policies are passing our policies. <laughs> so we're taking it above and beyond, but we're not just looking at the things that we're mandated to do. It's the things that we need to do to keep our customers' information safe. And my goal as someone in the AppSec realm is to ensure that 
these policies that were given get distilled into engineering speak so our engineers can understand what they mean, why they're important and how to remediate them without necessarily needing to know the whole legal or abstract concept. And that we are writing coded policies that check to make sure that we're actually executing what we are intending or what we're saying we're doing. So that makes audits easier. It gets information gathering easier. But at the end of the day, for me, it's just we're executing what we're supposed to. And so it's taking those standards a little bit further, but also taking a creative technical approach to making sure we're doing that and doing it in a way that's uh, easily scalable. I think you've hit the nail on the head when you talk about executing on all of these important policies, because it's much easier to have policies than it is to actually follow through and be able to translate them into meaningful tasks. Even looking back at uh, the Equifax hack that happened, the government that the government did an audit of what happened and their finding was that Equifax had fantastic policies in place, uh, but it did lack in how it was able to execute on them. And that translation layer is quite often a challenge, at least what we've seen in a lot of different industries. I'm wondering if you agree with that statement or not. Oh, absolutely. It's it's like the Grand Canyon. And that's what I think what we're trying to do with, with this idea of DevSecOps, right? Every, we all say shift left. I think we should shift everywhere. So things that we do from an application <laughs> perspective, like a lot of that information goes to the SOC. It goes to GRC. It goes like it says that culture of collaboration and communication, but across organizational units. And one of the biggest things, like I hate, I'm very binary with what I say, like it's either a zero or one when it comes to, are you doing X, Y, Z? And it's, it can't be, yeah, we are. But like, I want to have substantial evidence behind it saying, yeah, we are. And here's the coded policies that enforce that are tied back to the actual NIST or HIPAA or PCI section 1-45, section <laughs> 2, paragraph 1, or whatever it might be. Uh, article right? 73.2, yeah. Exactly. And I think we're, we have the technology to do this today. Right. This is the tooling that we're looking at is is becoming more widespread and available for us to utilize. We understand the problem domain of application security more, especially as it relates to DevOps and engineering. And I think that's why we got to continue talking about it, like this podcast or conferences and things that are you know being written in the media about DevSecOps. It's it you can call it DevSecOps, you can call it like I don't care, but it's that idea of security being forefront as an attribute of quality, I think is the thing that's important. Now you've mentioned a few times, you rely on technology to help you in a lot of these different ways because it's a solved problem. There's no point trying to rack your brain on trying to reinvent the wheel when a lot of this has been done. And I'd really like to get your perspective now on if you were setting up an AppSec program, you know, from scratch and then you were just hired in a new company and they said, okay, DJ, here you go. Uh, This is your budget. Can you set something up? How do you prioritize bringing in different pieces of technology throughout that whole security workflow? And this may involve so many different themes. They may be ties to GRC, to your engineering, to the security team itself. And how do you prioritize bringing in the right tools? Is there an order of precedence? What does that process look like in your head? Oh man, and that's changed over the years. It, what I've been looking at right now is a, I, I call it the three bucket AppSec program. The first being an, an analyzers or analyzing, right? Where we look at the open field and, and see where the trees are. <laughs> look at the landscape and say, what do we got here? And that's not just from a security perspective. That's like, 
how many code repositories do we have? How many compliance regulations do we have? You know, how many implementation standards do we have or control standards do we have? Getting a lay of the land, but then also analyzing the code with things like static analysis or container security analysis for containerization, dynamic analysis. We have network analysis tools. You can use pretty much anything. Then the big, the big, probably the number one problem is the open source software issue, right? The software composition analysis problem, which is all those components that we're bringing into our system. There's, I did a study in in a previous life where we had found that 85 to 97 percent of all code that's written on average, is not written by the company that's writing the software. It's written by the open source community. So that's a huge problem to deal with. So that analysis bucket encapsulates like, what do we got from a vulnerability inventory perspective? The second bucket is validation and verification. Now that we have the vulnerabilities, have they been closed? Do they pass our policy? Does the code that we've written pass our policy? And that could be security related or just non-security related. Are we using the latest version of this inner source component? Pen testing is part of that. That whole visualization validation that what we found is being remediated or what we say we're doing is actually being done. And then the third bucket of that is observation. I believe in making security invisible. So if I do that, then I had to make sure that A, I have a good documented plan so people know what I'm doing. And then the other side of that is because security is invisible, if nobody notices that their app is more secure, that means we've done our job, but we have to report on those KPIs. So observation is, are our vulnerabilities being reduced? How many policies are failing as we're building our software? What are the policies that fail the most? Now, is that an educational issue or is that an implementation issue or is the policy completely wrong to begin with? And then we can start looking into how do these things hook into educational programs? How do we have a consistent um, culture of learning from an application security perspective? So everything interrelates. But, you know, if I'm starting an AppSec program, I'm looking at what do I got? And that's that whole bucket of everything there. And then am I doing what I'm doing and am I remediating these issues? and validation. And then what are these key numbers that I want to take to the executive team and say, hey, we've reduced our vulnerabilities of highs 36% in the last 24 hours because we went through Artifactory or something like that and took some dead code out. So things like that. So a lot of the tools that you mentioned, they, they really fall more on the reactive side of things. I'm wondering if you've had any experience with deploying tools that that sort of proactively help even with that idea of shifting left things that happen earlier on that help you with your design review, um, threat modeling, the right security, generating the right security requirements. Where does that sit in your order of priority? That's like right at the front of things where for planning new applications or even looking at brownfield applications, I think it's part of the analysis bucket, I guess you can say. And that's that has to happen completely left. And there's a couple of different things with that, because when we look at the volume of vulnerabilities or security issues that come into any organization, a lot of them are things that we don't know that we do know now. There's the things that are preventable and the things that are remediatable. And then there's the, the thought that you're the you're only as good as your last scan. This is ongoing maintenance. So even though you might put a let's say an open source software tool in place to look for third-party vulnerabilities, you're going to get to the point where you can remediate and upgrade your versions. But then you're going to get to the point where you can't 
And then it becomes a, okay, now what do we do? And we have to remediate these issues either with addressing tech debt or project plan or that kind of thing. But when we start doing a new application or even retrofitting old applications and looking at what we have, that's where those threat models come into place. What happens if one of our components isn't used anymore or it's not supported? Or I think there was a case a couple months ago where someone took a component off and just you know closed it up and then it broke everybody's builds everywhere because it was used by a, a wide swath of the industry like these are threats that you got to consider yeah. it's more than just the appsec side of things and now that we have these vulnerabilities what do we do but there's that anticipation of what things can happen yeah no absolutely and i've always been the believer that you build a house right the first time around you don't have to break walls and change wiring later on it's a lot more expensive to remediate a lot of different vulnerabilities if you have the right guidance in place and, you know, to begin with. And I well, yeah. personally, yeah. So I personally give a lot of importance to, to similar to what you were saying at right at the forefront, upfront, what are we doing in the beginning of when we start our security process? And all the stuff you mentioned is extremely important and it's essential as part of a continuously evolving security pipeline, you know, the pen tests and the open source vulnerabilities and all of that has to be in place. But can we reduce the load that those uh, tools are bringing us? Because if all of these tools are finding uh, 100, 150 vulnerabilities and findings for an application, is your engineering team capable to cope up with that uh, demand of so many different security findings? Yeah, it's noise, right? Some of these tools you turn on, it's like, oh man, 10,000 high vulnerabilities. Guess I'm not having a... Thanksgiving weekend, like you, you can't just turn something on and say, okay, now, you know, now let's just attack it. Cause I, I love the analogy you had about building a house. I always use the car manufacturing an analogy, especially like from adding security controls in a car is not being built until a lot of the engineering concepts are worked out and they'll prototype a vehicle and say, okay, yeah. is it aerodynamic? How does it do in crash tests? That's a safety attribute. That's a security attribute, I guess you could say. And then the car goes down the assembly line. And this is where I think we need to put our threat models is like right at the beginning. Like what could happen? What kind of application are we designing? And what do we need to defend against? And what kind of compensating controls might we need? And how does that affect our, not only our application security program, but our operational security programs, right? Because once our apps go out into production, are we putting the appropriate controls in place or are we overcomplicating things and making a complex system which isn't maintainable, right? I love, gosh, like an example would be you know, using a static analysis and security testing tool to scan like a C-sharp application, but keeping the Java flag or Java flag turned on and scanning it for Java as well. So you are wasting time. There's no Java in here. <laughs> so you're really saying, Okay, there's a potential threat of vulnerabilities that uh, come up in Java, but we don't have Java. So all of a sudden that percentage of that even happening is less. And then that goes back to the lean manufacturing. Do I need to test for things I don't need to? But on the other side is, do I have the controls in place to protect where I need it to protect? 100%. Okay, one more thing I wanted to get your take on, you know, this again, slightly relates to the healthcare space. It'll be interesting to hear your perspective on it. In, the, in 2020, right? It's, it's the COVID world, COVID year we live in right now. To protect the health of people, governments and institutions have put in place a lot of restrictions on movement and mechanisms for tracking, tracking and reporting, contact tracing, all of that. Now, how do you feel we are equipped right now to handle data privacy, transmitting all of this personal health information, 
during this crisis? What is your take? I think there's definitely a lot of challenges all around, but I think one of the things that's come out of this pandemic is is the fact that we can survive and still overcome as a society, right? Like we can still work at home and get work done in a productive way. Now we're starting to see things like telehealth and um, you know, virtual visits and this kind of thing. And when you think about this, why haven't we done this 10 years ago? If you're right. sick, why are you going into a hospital sick to see if you're sick? We can do these diagnoses or, you know, at, or these evaluations virtually. Now that brings up a lot more security issues of, again, ensuring that there's confidentiality of the data in transit, the application side, the video side. It, it's how doctors take their charts, right? If you're, if you're taking notes at home and you're a physician, where does that go? How is that data protected in transit? So there's a lot of things that are on that side. The good part of it is a lot of the things that we're seeing in the healthcare industry around mobile applications. There's a precedent there where everybody has an app on their phone, right? We have Google Fit or we have Apple Health or we have an application from our healthcare provider that we can see our insurance card. So that kind of thing. So there's a precedent that we have of how we handle disconnected systems and applications. But that's going to be challenging because this is a new territory. But I think that we're set up from a technological perspective where we're handling it. And now that we have the ability to do it, I, I think it's going to be a successful uh, journey, not without challenges, of course, but we have the technology. So let's use it. Yeah, no point taken. So then would you yourself sign up for one of these apps that uh, do contact tracing? Oh, myself? Absolutely. And that's, it, that's a loaded question because a lot of people <laughs> say right off the, right, right off the hopper, no. I, I think about my, some of my family is having a, a couple of health conditions that I know that if there was somebody else that had health conditions and I had something that they needed to be notified of just to help protect it, if we can save one life, I think that it's worthwhile. I think there's a lot of privacy con concerns behind it. And I think that a lot of those maybe have not been addressed as much as they should be or can be. But I think at least the dialogue and the conversation has started. Yeah, I think it'll be difficult to disagree with that. I am in complete uh, agreement with what you just said. But having said that, DJ, I really appreciate you taking the time today and having this chat with me. Uh, as always, I, I learned so much just listening to you speak about your experience, many years in working in DevSecOps and me just getting into the field right now. It's been a few years. DJ, thank you so much again for taking the time today and really giving me your perspective, your take on a lot of these issues that we talked about. I personally value my conversations with you a lot, given your knowledge in the space. And again, my heartfelt gratitude for your time. Hey, anytime, Fernoy. It's always great talking to you guys and keep doing the things that you're doing. And this podcast is a, is a fantastic way to get the message out about security and the things that we need to do to make the world and our applications a safer place. Can't get enough of the balancing act? Make sure to check out our website at www.securitycompass.com and be sure to subscribe to our channel for more episodes. Mm -hmm.